businesses also have souls and there is a way to create a connection with your dream clients, your dream prospects that really, uh, from a business perspective, can really express in its highest form. Welcome back, wealthy women. We are exploring awesome ways for you to make money with real estate investing. And today we have like a different kind of guest for you. <laughs> Julie Guest started her first business in high school selling boxer shorts. She dove into real estate investing at age 22 and then later built her marketing agency the hard way, making just about every mistake in the book after throwing in the towel on her corporate career as an attorney. And I can totally relate to making every mistake in the book because that's how my illustrious real estate career got started. She is the CEO of Boulder and Louder. I love that name. A New York-based marketing agency that specializes in transformational branding to take companies further, faster. Julie, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Christine. I'm really excited to be here. So normally we're talking to people who make their money from real estate investing, but I asked you to be on the show because you told me a story about your own real estate investing experience that I thought could be helpful to some of the listeners. But before we get into that, can you just like tell me a little bit about what it is that you do today, how you help people with their transformational businesses today? Sure. So um, so our, our marketing agency is really specialized in something called transformational branding. And so most people know, or they think they know what branding is, you know, they're thinking logos, designs, you know, look and feel, that kind of thing. That's kind of like just the tiny, tiny little bit of gloss on something. So a transformational rebrand is like, it's equal parts business strategy um, and design kind of all combined. So it's the process that we would take a business through to really like wherever they are at today, whatever the steps are that to create a business that is in its highest expression. So like everybody always explain this in terms of souls, right? We've all got souls, but businesses also have souls. And there is a way to create a connection with your dream clients, your dream prospects that really uh, from a business perspective can really exp express in its highest form. And that includes not just the design, but pricing structures, for example, you know, what is the best pricing structure? you know, what are their top products? So it's kind of, that's a very convoluted way of saying that we help to really reposition a business so that it can really be the shortest path to the gold is probably the best way of putting it. Yeah. So it's not just like, oh, here's your fancy new logo. It's like, this is the way your business it needs to be communicated to the world so that the people who are the right people to hear that message are going to hear it. And they're, they're your ideal client. And that's who you're going to attract because you put the right stuff in the, in the window, in the virtual picture, in the virtual storefront window or whatever the, vir your virtual business um, sign is going to attract in the right people. Correct. And then it's also just looking at a business structure. So most of it, like just about everyone's business is just filled with so much complexity and it's about really identifying which parts of the business are sort of like where the low-hanging fruit is and how coming up with a really clear game plan to make really quick gains as quickly as possible in the most, you know, ethical but consistent way possible. Yeah. So it's like it's, it's like this big process. <laughs> awesome. So 
so who's your ideal client actually? Who's your avatar? So um, we, it's interesting because it's changed over time. When I first started, we were working, um, we were really lucky and landed a, a couple of big accounts with some Fortune 100 companies because that's what I thought they, <laughs> that should be the goal, right? <laughs> to work with big guys, you know, in terms of marketing. And um, I, we quickly realized that even though it's really fun and it's great for the ego to say, oh, you know, we've worked with Nike or, you know, with Coca-Cola, it is a very bureaucratic, very different kind of experience. And um, we realized that the companies that we could have the biggest impact with are those who are founded by visionary entrepreneurs, meaning that they have a much bigger purpose to what they're doing. They're usually heart-centered, making the world, their business is making the world a much better place. Um, typical revenues are anywhere between 2 million to 50 million. And they are the kind of um, founder or, or business owner that wants to shake things up, very innovative, wants to transform, doesn't just like making incremental changes. So that would be our ideal. So how did that, how, that was after your real estate career, right? That you, that you founded that business after your, your um, spotty or <laughs> <laughs> after your after your real estate, so I I the reason that I connected with your story for, of real estate investing is because everyone has a fear, right? When people think about getting into real estate investing, they're going to think, "Oh man, I'm going to buy at the top of the market. I'm going to need to sell at the bottom of the market. I'm going to lose my shirt." My grandfather's cousin's uncle's friend had the same experience, and right, and that's why I can't possibly succeed. And there are a lot of those sort of stories, but at the end of the day. Um, in a way, when you first were in that situation, you sort of found yourself in that, like, I need to sell and the market's not with me right now. So what did you do? Well, actually, right. start wherever you want. Start wherever you think makes the most sense so that we totally get to understand the whole story. Well, I mean, I so, I so for me, real estate's always been a huge passion, but it's never been my main focus. So in our current in our current our marketing agency, one of our three areas of industry expertise is you know we work with um, uh, financial um, based businesses, so fintech, wealth management firms. The second one is we do a lot in the medical space, and then the third is real estate. So I um, I had purchased my I was lucky enough to invest in property. I think I purchased yeah my first property in my very early twenties. Because my parents had always said, you know, it's a really smart thing to invest in real estate. I had read Robert Kiyosaki, who, um, as you know, you know, is all about real estate. And I just loved the idea of owning property. So I kind of jumped in there. And um, as I sort of started my corporate career, I started to invest more and more in real estate. And so that was all well and good. I moved to America uh, permanently in 2005. And, um, was living in Los Angeles and um don't know if you remember in 2000 it would have actually been 2007 um so I rented for a couple of years in Los Angeles and Manhattan Beach and then decided to purchase and at that time the market was going absolutely crazy I remember sitting in a taxi going somewhere and the taxi driver was giving me you know real estate hot tips on where I should be buying and I, I remember hearing about Warren Buffett saying that, you know, be fearful when others are greedy and, and be greedy when others are fearful. And I'm like, it's not such a good sign. But anyway, I was desperate to, to find a house to buy. Um, 
uh, my husband at the time and I started putting offers on houses. We were working with a real estate agent. You know, there'd be 10 offers going out within 24 hours. And we we struck out on all of them. Um, and so it was getting really disheartening. And, you know, we weren't looking for anything fancy. It was just a, you know, a ranch style home. Anyway, uh, we finally managed to get an offer accepted. And it was a, um, a less than a 15 hundred square foot home. It was on a postage stamp piece of land. The neighbors could see in on all three sides, had no backyard to speak of except for a pool. Um, you know, the the kitchen had formica countertops. It didn't even have a dishwasher. Like it was, you know, so we very simple. Very simple. Um it was a it was a nice home, but it was very simple. I think we paid uh I think it was like six hundred and forty thousand for it. And we mm-hmm Yep. And we did the, um, we, you know, we max out, we got the biggest possible mortgage that we could. So we got like some, like something ridiculous, like 97% mortgage. Anyway, so I didn't, I learned just in that whole process, I learned a lot because it's the only time I think that I have really rushed into buying real estate and I didn't do all my due diligence. So for example, the night after we closed, I walked to the end of our street and I noticed that there was a white wall on the other side that I had never really paid any attention to. And um, I don't know if you know much about LA neighborhoods, but you know, they can change very quickly from block to block. And I um, was, so I was walking my dog and I thought, I'll just take a peek around and see what's hiding behind the white wall. And it, and it was a trailer park and not the nice kind of trailer park. It was like a yucky trailer park, hence the huge white wall. So that was a huge shock. Anyway, um, uh, so we hadn't owned the property very long and um, uh, within probably six months, the market started, the bottom of the market started to fall out and, you know, properties in our neighborhood were losing, losing value really rapidly, $10,000 a week, $20,000 a week, you know, no one kind of knew. And I honestly didn't pay much attention to it. I mean, it was a little bit scary, but um then my husband at the time got a transfer to uh, Arizona, and so we had to sell. We had to sell the house, and that's when I started getting really concerned. So I had thrown in the towel in my corporate job a year uh, earlier and had started my marketing agency. So it's brand new business. You know, we had all kinds of debt, and and now we were sitting with a house that we we're upside down on. And so I went to uh, supposedly the best real estate agents in the area asked them for a comparative market analysis. Nobody would, nobody was interested in selling the house. They all said that I was approximately, you know, at that time, 200,000 um, underwater on it. So, I mean, I had basically two choices. One would be to give the home back to the bank. Um, and the other is to figure out a way to um, get out from underneath it. And so I, um, I realized that no real estate agent was going to help me. And if there was a chance that I could try and get the house sold, I was, you know, I was, I was going to give it everything I could before I had would try and would walk away from it. So I decided that I, as I had a marketing agency and I knew how to market things, I'd never really done it for a house before that I would, I would market my own house, but I would do it in a way that completely changed the conventional style of a real estate transaction because I could see very I could see that in the current environment people were you know if you had two groups of people through an open house it was considered successful like there's no way that the house would ever sell so what I did is I um, I came up with a plan and my plan was 
to run a seven-day marketing campaign to promote the house. Um, and I wanted to drive as many people to an open house over a weekend that would be held over two days. Um, and my goal was that by the end of the second day, hopefully, fingers crossed, there would be enough people interested and would put offers on the house and I would sell it to the highest bidder. So um, basically that's what we did. We we start, we we um, launched the marketing on a Monday. Um, by Wednesday, I was hoping, I was holding my breath this whole time because I wasn't sure if it was going to work. But by Wednesday, I knew that the marketing actually was going to do a really good job because our phone started ringing off the hook all hours of the day and night. We had people knocking on the doors saying they couldn't come to the open house. Could they possibly get a peek in? You know, and so we could see there was some real activity and real interest. Um, when uh, Saturday rocked around and we opened the doors for our open home, which was basically it started at 10 a.m. and ran till I think about four, we had 30 people lined up uh, wanting to come through the house, right? So this is this is in a massive recession. It's like unheard of. Um, Anyway, long story short, we had uh, ended up by the end of the weekend, we had over 200 people through the home and we had uh, 20 interested parties put an offer um, on the property. And of those, there were about five that were really, really serious. And we ended up selling the house for $2,000 more than what we owed <laughs> to a couple who were not even in the market looking for a house. They had seen our advertising. They lived a few blocks away. They'd come in to see what kind of all the fuss was about and had um, fallen in love with the house and ended up buying it for their daughter. So it was a huge, um, first of all, it was extremely stressful to do, but secondly, it was a huge learning curve for me and a huge watershed moment because it showed me that um, no matter what the market is doing, you can create your own opportunities and the 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 key thing is that you just you can't just follow the herd and do what everyone else is doing, right? If I had done that, I would have never ever been able to. I mean, I probably couldn't have even sold it for two hundred less than what we owed. It just wouldn't have worked. So I had to re-engineer that entire process. And that's when I talk about transformational branding, like that's kind of what that is, right? It's about coming up with a process that completely elevates something from where it was to where it needs to be. And, you know, we, um, I had brought in a loan officer. Um, so I, I tried to eliminate every possible obstacle to somebody not being able to close on the house. So I brought, I had brought in a loan officer who had one of the bedrooms and was pre-qualifying people. Um, meantime, he was actually paying me um, towards my marketing costs for access to these people, which was great. Every time somebody came in, you know, they had to have their, um, license verified so we you know we had a really great um list that we were gathering so he was there um and then uh, I remember I had three real estate agents show up over the weekend and two were really really cranky with me and were accusing us of um you know doing something illegal which is completely crazy because it's my home um, and then the third one was really, really smart and was in total awe of what was going on. And she was like, oh my God, can we hire you guys to do our brokerage marketing? So it was, it was, um, it was just a really, a really, really interesting um, situation to be in. And I'm really grateful. I, I wouldn't want to go back and do that again because it was so stressful and I didn't know until the very end if it was actually going to work. Um, 
but it was it was just one of those life experiences where your life's at crossroads you know things are not going in your favor and you can either make that decision you know am I am I pretty much just going to roll over and give up or am I just going to you know come out swinging you came out swinging which is why I love this story because you recognize, okay, you know, maybe I made some mistakes. I didn't take Warren Buffett's advice. <laughs> I just was like, oh, this is, but you know, it wouldn't have been a bad decision if you had stayed in the area because you wouldn't have cared what happened to home prices. And then 10 years later, when you're ready to sell, it would have been fine, right? Everything would have come out in the wash, but it's the unforeseeable that makes real estate investing so interesting. And, you know, when I, and you're right, like, it's it's one of the things that I've learned to do going into any kind of real estate deal is I, instead of just thinking about what I expect's going to happen, which I expected to be living in that neighborhood, you know, for the next at least five to 10 years, yeah. you know, it would, like really, does it really make sense to do a 97% mortgage just because a bank will give you that? You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, really? And if, if things change, you know, could I A, rent it out for more than what my mortgage payment would be? And if I couldn't, if I had to turn around and sell it, you know, would I be able to sell it for more than, than what I either paid or at least to cover the commission of selling it? So now, um, you know, being burned on that. So we have gone into, you know, new deals with a different perspective, but it was by far, I think, my most valuable learning experience. And kind of what's been really cool about that experience is that that process that I did for the house in terms of marketing it and changing the process and just creating a new experience and a new um a new system if you will is the exact same process that we take our clients through for their businesses I call it the client stampede formula so mm -hmm. it's like creating creating demand out of thin air but it's there right it's just presenting right, it, it in there. a way that people can relate to it and they realize oh I actually want this thing I need this thing I have right. to you know right I need this service or this whatever product that this person is selling. And one of the things I love about the story is that for many, many, many people, having a house underwater and needing to sell it would have been the end, the bitter end of their real estate career. But you said, okay, learn from that, dust it off and start it over. So what what was your thought process when you got back into real estate investing? Um. So my, I mean, my first thought was um, to you know, what I actually ended up doing after that experience is I started to really unpack my key learnings as a real estate investor, you know, even though that was my primary residence. So anyone listening to this could take it. But, you know, one thing, one big takeaway for me is just not buying on emotion, right? Okay, so it's going to take me maybe another six months to, to find, you know, the house that will, you know, will work. But is that over a course of five or 10 years, is that really such a deal breaker? Like, no. And then, um, you know, I, I, I bought that house cause I was greedy and I didn't want to miss out because I'd missed out on all these other things. So my logic flew out the window, you know, I was just like, nope, that's it. That's what we want to get. And I kind of dug in my heels. Yeah. The third one, um, a third big lesson is really understanding the financial, um, landscape, right. At the current time. So what the, what the mortgage and the loan structure is. Um, looking at, you know, for every residential um, investment that I make, I always look really closely at the rental market and what's going on. Um, 
you know, I always I always do multiple scenarios because if I think A is going to work, that's great. But what happens if B, C, D, E, or F happen? And so just having that sort of more of a 360 view has has helped tremendously. Yeah, and I, I'm the same. And I always recommend to my clients that they have three options, at least three options for every home. And you're right. I mean, a lot of places you can buy it because you love it and it's beautiful. And of course, the, the value is going to go up naturally. Real estate value always goes up. But, right, except that we're someday going to reach the end of this crazy cycle. And I think that's already happening. But if you have, if you get into a situation where you've looked at the numbers, you re, you know that you can rent it for at least the amount of your mortgage so that you could hang on to it if you needed to. And, you know, there's, and it's a great area for Airbnb and whatever, you know, you've got like a few different options that you could take in that property, you know, okay, well, it's, maybe I could, I could subdivide it or I could sell it as it is, or I could rent it, you know, or I could do short-term rentals or whatever, whatever your combination of, of options is, I could cut it, you know, tear it down and, you know, develop something better on the land, whatever. As long as there are at least three possibilities, then you're not as worried about the, the minutiae of where you are exactly this moment in the market, right? Right. But, yeah. And that's, but FOMO, as you mentioned, is the number one motivating factor. And that's why as real estate agents, we love to have short open houses so that the maximum amount of people are going to come through that house at that moment. Everybody's going to be looking at each other. Oh, this guy wants this. And this person wants this thing because that's the worst that can happen. If a, if a property sits on the market, like now it's like a month. <laughs> it used to be like many months, but now it's like, it's been on for a month and no one wanted it. Well, why should I want it? Right. I mean, that's, that's the, especially for, for people just getting started. They're like, well, if no one else wanted it, I mean, there must be something wrong with it. Right, exactly. And um, another thing that I did as a result of this experience is I went and started learning creative real estate investing techniques. So things that were not taught, that are not conventional. So, you know, offering seller financing, you know, doing um, uh, just, just really coming up with other ways or other exit strategies that I could have in my toolbox to use and employ so that if I was in that situation again, I would be able to get out of it. I wouldn't just be forced to do, you know, one thing. Yeah, exactly. And that's, well, even partnering, like you, what you did. Okay. What are all the possible reasons why someone might say, I should, I can't buy this house. Well, all right, here's number one. It could be, you know, that maybe they don't know if they can get financing. Well, let's remove that objection. What's another thing? Well, what, what are some other problems? Well, let's remove that objection. Let's make sure that there, this is going to be as smooth and as seamless as possible. And I love that you base your whole marketing, not, I mean, I don't need to say it like that, but I love that you were able to translate all these things that you learned into your marketing business and say, okay, hey, this stuff works. <laughs> Let's apply right. it to companies and, you know. So um, one of the other things that we did when, um, and when somebody new came through the house is like we had prepared an information packet for for everybody and it had in their comparative marketing and market analysis like it covered everything that a real estate agent would have done as well as we had a home inspection done like everything we just removed every possible obstacle from their mind so that they you know could at least have a sense of okay this is this is solid so yeah, exactly remove every objection everything that possibly so now what does your real estate 
investment career or your real estate investment sort of side hustle um, passion look like? So it's, you know, it's, it's grown. Um, it's in, I have properties in multiple states. Um, I've, I have not invested in commercial. I've stayed in residential, multifamily, um, single, um, single family. Um, and I, it's interesting because of all the deals that I've done that the one that I told you about was by far the most difficult. So it was kind of like I had a baptism of fire to start with. But since then, it's been, you know, relatively um, smooth because um, just from the learnings and, you know, I think my biggest thing was just really removing the emotion and making sure that the numbers, if the numbers didn't work, no matter how much I loved the home, no matter how much the other people loved the home, I walked away from the deal, right? And so that was, especially because I'm more right brain than left brain, that was a big discipline that I had to learn. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Especially when you think if if that wouldn't have been your first transaction, you may have become a real estate investor and had 10 properties in 2008 when the market crashed, right? And none of the numbers would have worked and right and people did. They were just thought and and now this is a real danger right now because the market has been going up for much longer. We all expected in the real estate industry, we thought 2020 was going to kind of be the peak at least in in our area in the Boston area, we thought 2020 was going to be the peak. And then the pandemic came and all of a sudden everybody had to move, you know, like, oh, everything's changed now. My whole, my kids and my, you know, my, my kids are home all the time. My, my parents want to live with us. You know, there's all these kind of dynamics and we need a bigger house and we don't need to live in the city anymore. We can go live in the middle of nowhere, or in the mountains, at the ocean, anywhere, because we don't have to commute anymore. And so that prolonged this cycle, but it is slowing down. And there is a possibility that now with higher interest rates, whatever, that you could be in a situation where you bought the property at the exact wrong time. So what is your plan BCD? And how do you get attracted to, how do you find out about opportunities and how do you first get attracted to a specific area or a specific transaction, specific deal? Um, so I, um, I usually go and find my own opportunities, uh, typically. So, um, Why I mean, that surprised me. <laughs> I, I mean, I work with real estate agents too, but you know, um, I have found that the very best deals are the ones that I go out and find myself. So I use a combination, you know, I have, um, someone on my team is responsible for sending out, you know, we use direct mail, we go and scour, you know, tax records, um, I, I do a lot of that heavy lifting, you know, in-house basically. Um, and then I'm really, really big on research. So if I'm looking at investing in a, in a, in an area, like I want to know everything about that area. And I typically won't invest in an area unless there's some significant like, indicator of growth, right? Like I'm not like for my personal strategy, I don't really want to just invest in a nice area. There's got to be something happening. So for example, you know, in, in Raleigh, where there's been an enormous amount of, of tech investment coming with Google and Apple, right? Like just something like that happening is going to have a huge uplift on uh, the rental market and a tightening of supply. So that's really good. So I, I look at all of those things um, and, you know, I, I, you know, I look at a lot of different properties and, um, and I make a lot of offers. And sometimes they get accepted and sometimes they don't. But it's nothing personal. <laughs> nothing personal. I mean, it's literally a numbers game. And as soon as I understood that and it's not personal, 
um, then, you know, it just sort of freed it. It changed it for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. And and this is all, everything that you're doing now is exactly what I would recommend people to do and what I am, what I do on this podcast, recommend people to do, but it is so hard, especially with the first couple of transactions to get the emotion out of it. Right. If there's a certain, like buying a house that you don't like, for example, oh, I hate this style. You know, I hate the, whatever the wallpaper, I don't like the layout, it, who cares? Right. <laughs> but it's sometimes it's difficult to bring yourself to buy a property that you wouldn't personally want to live in and understand that, okay, other people will rent this and they'll like it. And, you know, right. And I got, I mean, I, exactly what you described is one of the hangups that I had. And so I got over that by almost standardizing, like I created like this an interior design blueprint, if you want. So, you know, no matter what the house is, I'll come in and like, we've got specific wall colors, trim colors, what kind of carpet, you know, we like we have a system. And so by the end of it, it looks, depending on you know what kind of a home it is, it looks much, much better than when when it started, it still might not be the level that I personally would want it, but you know, but it's, it's a nice, it's a home that I would, that I think is nice and I would be happy for people to live in it. Yeah. Um, a lot of real estate investors would go, that's just being ridiculous. But that for me personally is something important to me and that's yeah. how I've made peace with it. So that's how I do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think. And how about, I mean, when you, it's interesting to me when people are discovering neighborhoods that are nowhere near them. So like I know some areas where there are a couple of big companies, you know, in my little orbit where there are a couple of big companies, they're talking about an IPO, all the people who are holding stock right now are suddenly going to be having money and they're going to be able to be homeowners. That's a huge thing, but it's very localized and it's not necessarily something that somebody who's on the other side of the country could discover or 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 really learn about. So how are you doing sort of the analytics to to hone in on specific markets um i have so i have a really good network of other real estate investors that i am plugged into and so we have conversations all the time about who's doing what what's working what isn't working yeah. um, and i think that's been crucial so those conversations are often starting points for my research or just to find out more about um you know i I strategically read the news, meaning I will cherry pick articles of interest that typically would be related to growth or change in a specific area. And mm -hmm. then, you know, I use Zillow as the starting point for everything um, and then kind of fan out from there. So, um, I mean, I think every investor kind of has different a different idea about that because obviously the more different locations that you own property, you know, you've got to have different property management companies involved or, you know, the complexity grows with that too. So that's an important consideration. Yeah. Um, and I know when I started out, I kept everything very local so I could just replicate what I'd done, but that's also a risky strategy because you've got all your eggs in one basket. Right. But I also think if you've got to start somewhere, like start local for sure. And then yeah. once you get your confidence up, then you can, you can go further abroad. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't have to be like your town. You can say, oh, I live in a really affluent community. There's no way that I'm going to be able to afford to start my real estate investment career here. You know, look out, you know, an hour, a couple of hours, but it's still your orbit. It's You're not going into a completely different state where laws might be different, rules might be different. You know, you, you're just not going to be as familiar with, with that environment. Right. 
And I remember when I um, when I lived in Los Angeles and I was still renting, I remember uh, anytime I used to drive past an ugly house that looked like it had been abandoned, I would make a note of the um, neighbor, you know, of the address, um, would look it up and I would send a, a letter to the owner. Right. And so, you know, I made, I made several offers, um, you know, a couple got accepted, most didn't, but it was, you know, that was a, that was also a good way to just kind of get started with things that are off the beaten track. Cause I also find that by the time the property hits the market, it's usually they're wanting retail price, right? So you like that, that, um, that opportunity is significantly reduced in terms of being able to, you know, buy it so that it's a win for everybody, not just paying premium dollar. Yeah. So that's kind of why I've found that doing the legwork upfront as much as possible um, and getting to a, a deal as soon as possible has been so crucial. Yeah, absolutely. And what is it, what would you say is your favorite part of real estate investing? Um, I think my favorite part is the real estate. Like I just love, I love real estate. I love commercial. I love residential. I I love the leverage that it brings. I love the depreciation. Um, I love the idea of owning something tangible. And I know that has a flip side because it's also a liquid compared to something like stocks. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just that old adage, they're not making land anymore. So for me personally, I, um, you know, I like buying and holding that sort of, I mean, I've done flips as well, but um, I love having that, you know, in invest, buy right, and then hold on to it. So normally at this point in the podcast, I ask people if there's a question that you wish I would have asked you that I haven't asked you. And I guess you can answer that with regards to real estate or with your business or just anything that you want to make sure that people know about you or about anything. That's a good question. Um, I think, I mean, I guess just the one thing that if, if anyone's listening to this and they're really they're really interested in investing in real estate and they're just too scared about it. And they're just kind of like we were talking before, Christine, where they've got analysis by paralysis. Um, you know, the quality of advice that you get is everything. So if you haven't found a, a real estate mentor or a coach like, like you, Christine, like that is just so critical. I, um, you know, I started out by finding a really good real estate, um, mentor and coach to work with so that I could run deals through their filter, et cetera. And that really helped give me confidence to take the next step, you know, cause it is really scary doing it on your own. Um, and so I, you know, I would say be brave, but surround yourself with the best people that you can find. Yeah. And you can make every mistake yourself. It's just not really advisable. It takes a long time and it costs a lot of money as we can both right. attest. <laughs> There's no need to do it. Like learn from people that have already done it and then just be smarter than them. And, and you know, like, so you can really, you really can get much further ahead, much faster. Yeah. And forming networks as you did with, you know, your mastermind working with other investors and not being afraid to share your, share your, what you've learned and to absorb what they've learned. Right. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Absolutely. So Julie, if people are like, wow, this person thinks way out of the box, she has got so much that I need to do and apply to my business. How can they reach you for your marketing consultation, you know, branding explosion so that they can be like, bring their, <laughs> bring their, 
their voice and their company to the world in a, a new way, an exciting way that they never, that people haven't experienced before? Um, so great question. Thank you. Um, so probably the first step would be to grab a copy of my book, which is called The Client Stampede. Um, you can get it paperback, Kindle, um, and there's also an audio version. Um, so that's, I always say that that should always be a starting point because if, if what I'm saying is resonating, like this, the book just sort of takes you into a deeper dive and I take you through the different steps of the client stampede formula. Um, so that would, I'd advise doing that first. You can also actually, while I'm thinking about it, you can actually get a, a free copy of my book on our agency website, which is bolderlouder.com. So it's bolder with no you. Um, but if for whatever reason it's not available, you can always get it on Amazon. Um, and then from there, if they feel like they would be a really good fit, then um, there is a form on our website that they can complete. There's a series of questionnaires. It's about 20 different questions that they need to ask about their business. Um, and then we'll jump on a call with them and um, come up with some strategies and understand what their goals are. Excellent. Excellent. Julie, thanks so much for being with us and sharing, you know, not just your success part of the real estate investing, but also your think out of the box. I'm not going to be put down by this crappy market <laughs> story. <laughs> No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been really fun. It's been, you know, this happened a long time ago and it's always funny to remember the details and the trauma of it, but you know, overall the win. So I'm grateful. Yes. And thank you listener for listening. I hope that Julie's helped you to see how there is no dire prediction, right? There's no bad time to get involved in real estate investing. If you just listen to your mentors, you just do things right. You have a couple of different strategies. Buy, buying right is more than half the more than half of the battle. Uh, so share this episode with somebody who you know has been maybe a little bit afraid, a little tentative about real estate investing and let them hear from Julie how you can conquer that fear and be a successful real estate investor and have a wonderful week and we'll see you next week.